Welcome to the Freshman Foundation Podcast, helping you make the jump from high school athletics to the collegiate level and beyond with your host, Michael Huber. Hey everyone, it's Mike Huber, founder and CEO of the Freshman Foundation and certified mental performance consultant. If you're listening to this episode, then you're likely a student athlete or family member of one. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Hopefully you find our podcast valuable. Mental performance coaching allows young athletes to show up at their best every single day by conquering distractions, pressures, and mental roadblocks through evidence-based strategies. So let's talk. You can visit my website at michaelvasinvincenthuber.com to schedule a free strategy session. Let's see if mental performance coaching is a fit for your family. Enjoy this episode, and thank you again for listening. How is Rachel Jankowski French helping Chicago Fire FC put the person first in the player development process? In my practice, I strive to put the person ahead of the performer. My primary responsibility is to help young athletes improve their mental skills for the purpose of performing better. However, If I don't show that I care about them as a human being first, then getting the buy-in necessary to help them achieve their athletic goals will be tough. My guest in this episode, Rachel Jankowski-French, is the Manager of Player Advisory and Support Services for Chicago Fire FC. Rachel is responsible for helping young men to develop the mental, emotional, and life skills necessary to thrive within their system. Ultimately, Rachel's role is to help the club ask the question, what does this player need to progress in their development? In episode 39, Rachel discusses how the club's player development philosophy is anchored by four pillars, technical, tactical, physical, and mental. Rachel highlights how the fire values the mental pillar equally and what she does in her day-to-day work to execute on that value. I'm excited for this conversation. Let's build your foundation with Rachel Jankowski French. Hey, Rachel, how are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's good to see you again. Yeah. How's everything been since the last time I saw you in Miami? I guess that was what, like two months ago? Yeah, that's about right. I think uh, we're just kind of winding down the academy season here at the fire. So getting wrapping that up and getting ready for next season. Excellent. All right. So I guess to get started, I'd ask you, you know, can you tell everybody about your role with the Chicago Fire? Yeah. So um, my role is the manager of player advisory and support services. I'm in the sporting ops department here with Chicago Fire. And um, I essentially work with the athletes in the academy primarily, but I also work with individuals on the second team and the first team as well. And what's the, what's the range of ages that you work with? Right. So our youngest group is a U13 team. So we've got guys on there who are anywhere, you know, uh, 10, 11, 12. Um, and then, you know, some of the oldest players that I work with are kind of in their mid-20s, I would say. Okay. And is it both men and women? Just men. Yep. It's just men. Oh, it's all, okay. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I, I didn't... I didn't know that I realized that. Is there, is that because there's not a female team at the professional level? 
Right. So Chicago Fire is just men's MLS team. And then Chicago does have a women's professional team as should the Chicago Red Stars, but the two organizations are not affiliated. So the developmental pathways for each are very separate and distinct. So I'm only working with the um, player development pathway that kind of feeds into the pro level at the fire. Okay. And so, I mean, I, I'm, I certainly imagine that the things that you do on a day-to-day basis vary by age group mm-hmm. uh, and level, but can you just talk in general about what some of your day-to-day responsibilities are in your role? Sure. Um, so it's a pretty wide range of responsibilities. We essentially, um, so the the player advisory and support services, we abbreviate that into PASS. Um, that's something that my former boss, um, Brian Roberts, kind of came up with. He really stewarded it into what it looks like now. And it's essentially a um, holistic approach to player development. Um, and then we really focus on how do we support players in what skills they need to gain and develop and practice off the field in order to improve their on-field performance. So um, that looks like anything from um, helping to craft the family orientation at the beginning of each season, getting everybody on the same page at the start. Um, I work with Cedric, who's our our academy director, um, and the coaches and um, people in other departments, the athletic trainers, that's a whole, you know, global effort to get everybody started each year. And then from there, um, myself and um, my coworker here, Felix, we work through a curriculum of items that vary depending on age, but it's a lot of it is uh, similar topics across the age groups. So for example, um, we will do a social media session for each age group. You know, the U13 guys are working through something that's very different than the second team guys um, because the needs and the engagement at those ages are so different, um, but they all span that that topic. Uh, so we run the past cur- curriculum through that and we focus on different areas like um, life skills, that would include the social media example, um, emotional intelligence, uh, the club's core values, how do we apply those um, as athletes on the field and off the field. We do all the academic support services through PASS. Um, We do leadership training and team building. Um, It's pretty, a pretty broad scope of focuses. Um, And then we also do mental skills performance. Um, Felix takes care of most of those. And then I do a lot of the more um, kind of clinical and well-being related pieces on an individual level. Okay. And so are those, uh, is there a set set curriculum, if you will, by, by age group that you sort of have, like that you kind of employ, you know, season to season? Yep, we have kind of a rotating annual curriculum so that you're not going through the same thing that you did last year, right? Um, And you're kind of progressing along this developmental pathway instead of looping around and around and around. Mm -hmm. Um, So we have that, although it is flexible, right? So if something comes up and we say, you know what, we were going to address the club's core value of integrity this week with the U14 team, but what the team really needs this week is a team building workshop, we can switch that, right, and and um, work with the coaches and the um, 
performance staff and the team to provide what's needed at that moment. And then we can always come back to what was planned. So it's it's a set curriculum, but it's also flexible to fit the needs as we go through the year. So the so I think the word that came to mind when you just described that flexibility and sort of how you interchange things, you know, as needed is assessment, right? So as a mm-hmm. group, how are you in general assessing the teams that you work with? And mm-hmm. and not just sort of I'm sure there's like a preseason or sort of introductory assessment in terms of like understanding the group when they come in, mm-hmm. but also doing assessment as, as they're going on a day-to-day basis, right? Where you say, Hey, we may need to employ something now based upon what's going on in real time. Like how are you taking on that assessment piece of things? Right. So, um, yeah, you're correct. We have a initial assessments that we go through at the beginning of each season. Um, I usually run all the players through a well-being assessment and we kind of measure different things related to how they're doing with their socio-emotional development, mental health, mm-hmm. um, different kind of gauging the strength of different support systems and um, areas that they're working in outside of the academy. So school, family, friends, that sort of thing. Um, and then we repeat that in the spring. So we've got two touch points on the well-being piece across the year. Um, and then we also do a nine mental skills assessment um, with the players. That's the framework that we use for the mental performance piece. Um, and that kind of gives us a baseline in those two areas to move forward with on individual levels. But we can also get a sense for what where the group is at and what the group needs, um, what might be most uh, relevant for the largest amount of players within the group on those Um And then as the year goes on, we try and keep really close connections with the technical staff and do check-ins with them um, and see what they think is needed as time goes on because Mm -hmm. the coaches are with the players every Mm -hmm. single day. They see every player every day. Whereas, you know, myself, um, I don't get to see every player every day because there's a hundred plus players, right? So so I really have to um, kind of, focus my individual um, time on players that pop up as demanding the most individual mm-hmm. follow-up assessments and, and and needs there. So we really use technical staff as kind of the temperature gauge for the group and to flag any players who they say, hey, I've noticed this with, with a player and what do you think? And we do some... Um, conversation and consultation there and kind of problem solve with the coaches to see how do we um, employ all of our resources that we have at the academy Mm -hmm. to help that player in the most global sense possible. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because in the work that I do in private practice, I don't typically have that benefit of having feedback from an on-field coach Mm -hmm. on a daily basis, right? I'm, I'm often going by what the athlete, the young athlete tells me right. maybe a little bit what their parents are feeding back to me, but I'm not actually seeing them every day on the field. So it must be, I don't say it must be nice, but th- there's certainly a benefit to getting that feedback to the on-field coaches because they're the ones that are constantly, you know, having, um, you know, interaction with those players. Whereas, you know, if you don't see that every day, it's really hard to, you know, make up you know, a complete judgment about what a player needs other than what they're telling you. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I think it's got 
definite um, strengths to the model where there's more collaboration and um, multiple points of view around one player. Um, and I think ultimately that's really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it does get interesting though, because we have such different lenses that we're viewing the player through. So a coach is looking at the player in one way and maybe the strength and conditioning coach is, has another view on it. And then I'm coming from usually like a clinical perspective. And sure. so, um, the ideas about what's going on with a player vary greatly within the staff sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so then it becomes, um, we're, we have the task of figuring out, okay, whose lens is the most helpful at any given moment and letting that kind of drive our approach to that player. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, f- for me, from my perspective, coming from a social work background, it's always viewing the player as, you know, they're the expert on their own life. It's their life. Mm -hmm. Their viewpoint is the most relevant. So regardless of what anyone on staff or parents or, you know, other stakeholders in that person's development may, you know, whatever they may be coming to the table with, ultimately for me, whatever the player sees as the issue or the opportunity or the solution that holds the greatest weight for me. And that's what I use to move forward with that individual. Sure. And that's, and I appreciate that because that's consistent with the way I work as well, not only out of necessity, but I mean, frankly, from a philosophical point of view, that's Mm -hmm. the way I look at it as well, you know, because if the athlete feels as though they have ownership over the process, there's going to be motivation to make the necessary changes or, right. or change behavior in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have to imagine that, you know, even if everybody is bought into that model, which I'm guessing is generally the, the case, mm-hmm. you still have this element of, you know, results orientation, even in right. a developmental system, mm-hmm. right? Which, you know, the player's needs or what you see to be necessary through your lens may get overridden sometimes by, the, the, the desire to continue to move performance at the individual level forward, mm-hmm. but also team performance forward. So can you, can you talk about like just some of those, obviously I'm not asking you to get into specifics, but just sort of how that gets handled in a little bit more detail. Right. Yeah. I think um, it does create a really interesting dynamic to navigate from a clinician's perspective because um, you know, when it really comes down to it, the Academy is here to pre- to develop professional players for the first team, right? We're not a therapy office. We're not a social services organization. Um, So everything falls under this, you know, drive of football first, right? So um, first and foremost, we're developing the footballer. Now that's very heavily tempered in my situation by the philosophies that people are bringing to the table. So for example, our Academy director, um, he will constantly refer to like, you know, if the player's not having fun, what are we doing? Right. If, if the player's not finding joy on the field, um, then how is he going to further develop? Right. How is he going to be a creative player, mm-hmm. this sort of thing. And so those pieces that come into play from, each individual perspective kind of inform how we then implement this football first philosophy and what that actually means. So um, 
for example, if a player is dealing with um, like massive amounts of anxiety um, and it's interrupting his development, right? Um, then it's not ever been a situation where anyone here has ever said, oh, you know what? They, they can't handle it and they're done, right? Like we can't work with that and we need to be able to develop footballers. And if you can't, if you can't swing it, then he can't be here. We've never come up across that. It's always been, okay, what does this player need to get over this hurdle so that we mm-hmm. can continue the development process, which I really appreciate that perspective um, from the broader staff that I get to work with here. Um, you know, it could be very different, but thankfully it's not. So um, yeah, I think it's a really great team approach here. And mm-hmm. um, it's, funny because I will often be working with a player individually and then you know I have confidentiality with the players and so I can't share with coach you know here's what's going on or here's what we're talking about or that sort of thing which is now a known factor it took a couple years of coaches asking like hey what's going on with so-and-so and me saying I, you know, I can't share that. Right. And now no one even asks anymore because they know that's going to be my answer. And and we've kind of found a rhythm there, but I will have coaches say, you know what, like, I don't even need to know, but if you need him during training, like if you need to pull him out, if, if you need essentially my technical time with a player as a coach in order to work with him on these things, go for it. And so that's, huge. Um, it's amazing. Yeah, that's yeah amazing. it's really unique. Um, but I think it, it shows that the, the mind and the socio-emotional health and development of the player are considered part of the development process here, right? If we look at the pillars of football, right, we've got tactical, technical, um, physical, and mental. And the mental piece is really honored in the approach here and that if it needs attention that um warrants time that people are willing to give it well that's that's a i'm glad you spelled that out because uh, you know i think that's critical because you know one of the questions that comes up in my work with young athletes is again not in the same context but you know when i ask them how much physical skill work or physical work they're doing the answer is it's a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Hours and hours and hours. And then mm-hmm. when they ask them, how much mental work are you doing? Yeah. The answer is zero, none. right? Mm-hmm. Right. None. And so, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that the return on investment for a, a mental training is probably going to be a lot greater mm-hmm. than an additional hour, say, of technical training because they've already done so much technical training. It's like, well, what's the margin on that, right? right. And if you have a coaching staff that buys into the idea that mental is as important and maybe even more important because there's a greater return, mm-hmm. then you're actually optimizing resources. Right. Because now you're putting more into the player where they need it versus this perception of like, hey, the field comes first. And mm-hmm. then if you have time left over, hey, you can work on this. Right, right. And, you know, we're still trying to figure out what does it look like to integrate mental performance coaching on the field, right, in a, in a training session plan sure. and that sort of thing. And um, and so we're, we're trying to move towards a more proactive approach to mental skill building and mental health and this sort of thing. Um, 
historically and even right now it's it's been very much um reactive right realizing oh hey somebody's struggling and how do we support them we'd really like to get to a point where we can um provide players with the skill sets up front so that the um the struggle is either lesser or delayed or this sort of a thing um because mm-hmm. right now we really um usually start to engage with individual players when essentially when there's a red flag, right. That he's um, throwing up before a game or he's in tears or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, he comes and says, Hey, I'm dealing with X, Y, Z. And we say, okay, like there's a problem. Let's work with it. Um, We'd, we'd like to get to a point where we can be more proactive in um, equipping players with the skills they need before it becomes a problem. Right. Um, so yeah, we're still learning there. How to do? Yeah, that. but but I think it's a, it's a really challenging, and I think you also again you hit on something really important, which is to say, you know, it's not easy to get any athlete or any coach or any parent to buy into the idea that mental skills training should be done before mm-hmm. it becomes a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, what I usually see is people come to me when there is a problem because right. we want to fix a problem right. rather than being preemptive about it and saying, this is something that we really need to work on mm-hmm. and we don't want it to become a problem. So, yeah. uh, uh, you know, it, it's, I think it's a very common theme mm-hmm. in our work. And I think it's also something that, you know, it's a really hard problem to solve because I think it's just human nature yeah. to sort of just go along with what's you know, been going okay. And then things mm-hmm. hit, hit the wall and you go, Oh, now I need to, f- now I need to fix it. But, um, I, I guess I'd ask you to talk a little bit more about confidentiality because I couldn't mm-hmm. help but thinking about that. And I understand that obviously that's a big issue because, you know, as someone who does what you do, right, you have to honor that ethically mm-hmm. as, as by the guidelines of the profession that you're in, mm-hmm. but also to make sure that the athlete you're work, that you're working with knows that they can speak freely because that's really yeah. the only way that they're, they're going to get the most out of it. So from the athlete's perspective, can you talk about, you know, do you see any issues or um, reluctance to come and talk to you about mm-hmm. stuff because they're afraid that it might get back or like can you just talk about that dynamic when you're working with individuals sure yeah um so i always introduce or reintroduce myself to each group each year right at the beginning of the season um just to give everybody a little Mm -hmm. introduction for the guys coming in at the youngest level and then a refresher for the older guys of how confidentiality works right they all know who i am and what i do but it's just a means of getting that little refresher in on the confidentiality piece. And I usually explain it that, um, you know, we understand that this is a high pressure development environment um, and that that comes with certain struggles um, Mm -hmm. mentally, socially, emotionally. And that's why I'm here. Right. Um, If we didn't care about it, they wouldn't have a Rachel here. Right. Um, But the fact that I'm here means that we recognize it and we're providing resources towards it. So um, part of my role is that I don't make decisions about players, right? I don't decide playing time. I don't decide if they're going to be um, retained or, or released from the academy. I don't, I don't, you know, make any decisions regarding them. And that allows me to um, have a more open conversation with players usually when they realize like, oh, I can tell Rachel 
something that I wouldn't tell someone else who is going to make a decision about me because they just feel like they have that extra layer of security. Um, If I'm anxious, I know Rachel has no control over whether or not I'm chosen to take a penalty shot, right? Um, Whereas coach might second guess that decision if he knows Mm -hmm. that you have anxiety, right? Um, So that provides a little framework for the players. And then I go more in depth and explain what is confidentiality um, and what are the limits of confidentiality if and when I have to break that for safety reasons, this sort of thing. And I, you know, you have to explain that in an age appropriate manner because it's quite a broad range of developmental stages that I'm working with. But um, yeah, I, I kind of go through that with a group. And then anytime I start meeting with an individual, I go through it again and we have a, informed consent form that we go through and the parents go through it and just make sure everybody's on the same page. Um, And then I have to be really disciplined about making sure that I maintain it, Um, working in this environment where um, I am interacting with their coaches daily and other staff. And, um, you know, I think my coworkers here make it really pretty easy for me Mm -hmm. um, because they, they don't even ask anymore, you know, because they realize, hey, you know, the player has chosen to talk with Rachel and that is useful in and of itself. And I don't need to know all the details there. So I've never had anybody kind of like press for information or anything like that, which has been really great. I didn't know when I first came here how that would go if I'd constantly be having pressure to disclose sure. information. I guess that was one of my concerns. But um, no, I've never been faced with that. And it's always been really, um, clear, clear cut, um, boundaries, um, in terms of, uh, working with that dynamic. And I guess one other thing is I, I do, when I work with the players, I do ask them almost every time I meet with them, Hey, is there anything that we talked about today that you feel like would be useful for coach to know, or for mom and dad to know, or, you know, um, is there anything that you feel like would be helpful to update people on? And sometimes I'll have players say, no, like there's not really anything relevant even for Mm. anyone else to know. And I've had players say, um, oh my, like, no, this is really sensitive. I don't feel like I don't want to bring that up with anybody. And so I always give them the opportunity to kind of ask that question to themselves um, and help them realize that at times parents and coaches, and they can be, um, you know, a strength and a resource and extra support. And I've definitely had players who have taken advantage of that. Um, A few who said, you know what, I'll talk to coach about this. But most of the time they say, you know what, can you kind of share this with coach for me? Um, So usually when they do want something shared, um, they'll kind of lean on me to broach that topic with coach um, just because it feels uncomfortable for them to just bring it up with coach. Yeah. So that's a, I'm glad you shared that. Um, And I I do want to ask you specifically about parents, Mm -hmm. but before I do that, I I think that um, one of the things that I see in, or one of the things I talk a lot about with my athletes that I work with, and they're in sort of the same age range, you know, generally from the 14 up to the college age Mm -hmm. athlete. And it's universal, despite the disparity in that sort of range, is is the challenges of communicating with coaches 
you know, just in terms of the comfortability and like, I don't necessarily, they don't feel comfortable advocating for themselves or Mm -hmm. they don't like those uncomfortable conversations. So they sort of keep things to themselves. Like, is that something that you find yourself talking about with athletes in general? Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things is, um, you know, even for you or me, if we walk up to somebody that we know, we see them on a daily basis and they say, Hey, how are things going? How are you doing? If something's off and we feel comfortable with that person, we might talk to them about it. Mm-hmm. But if no one asks us that, we're not just going to walk up to somebody, even if we see them every day and, and just, you know, disclose everything that's going wrong and, and how we're struggling and this sort of thing. It's just not mm-hmm. like a social <laughs> dynamic that really happens very often. And so um, it would be naive of us to think that players would feel comfortable just walking up to coach and starting a conversation with him out of the blue mm-hmm. about something that's really difficult. Um, so you know, there are times that I can think of when a player said, you know, I I would like to talk to coach about this, um, but they don't know how do you, how do you start that conversation? Right. Right. Um, And so um, I, I talk with players about kind of making sure that they're connecting with coach all the time, not waiting Mm -hmm. until there's a problem. Um, And then I also, talk a lot with coaches about, you know, if you want players to open up to you about things, you need to give them opportunities to do that. They're yeah. not just going to wander up to you and start talking to you about difficult things. So, you know, Hey, how are you doing? How was school? How's the family? Like very simple, like kind of, um, light questions on yeah. a daily basis. You see them every day. So just do a quick check and how's it going? Right. Remember, did they have a test today that they were worried about that they told you yesterday and ask, how did it go? Right. Right. Um, And just folding those kind of personal connection opportunities into sessions as much as possible so that that foundation of a relationship and comfort level can get created over the course of a season. And then when when coach does say, hey, it seems like something's off or, you know, I noticed some, you know, a heightened level of emotion at the game or, you know, it's when, when it does come time for coach to ask about something that's really going on, they're not starting from zero. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that we've been working with um, here just kind of across the board is how does each coach want to approach developing that with players over the course of a season? Yeah, I think that's really important. And I think coaching the coaches in that particular facet is critical, right? Because one of the things that you learned, I'm sure, and I learned in my training was rapport building, right? Mm -hmm. Like if the athlete understands that you really care about them as a person, it's going to be a lot easier for them to buy into you helping them. Right. And I think what I hear, again, these are different levels and in different places. And I think what I hear a lot of the times is the athletes who are the younger person have this expectation that the the coach is going to take care of them. Mm -hmm. And then when things don't go the way that they expect them to, they don't want to come forward and talk to the coach because to your point before, if they, if they raise the issue, it's almost like there's going to set off an alarm bell with the coach. Like something's wrong with this player. Mm -hmm. Now they're going to take away my playing time. Right. Mm -hmm. Versus like, you know, hey, there's always this dialogue going on that I feel like I can go to talk to coach. And it's mm-hmm. a, mu- a very big issue, much bigger than I ever imagined it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also, it has a big impact on performance in the sense that 
a lot of this anxiety is built up internally mm-hmm. and there's nowhere to go with it. Right. And so then it's like, I can't go to talk to coach about it or I can't talk to my teammates because I don't want anyone to think something's wrong or I'm weak. Mm-hmm. But then when they go on the track or they go out and they go onto the field, they don't, there's no way it's all trapped yeah, inside of them, which is, ca- that. Yeah. yeah. And it's causing them to, to perform at a lower level mm-hmm. because they're constantly under the stress and anxiety of like, how do I deal with this? Right. So right. it's like almost like this avalanche and a snowball that just kind of builds up. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think it's really critical. Um, and it's great that that's happening within the organization of, Hey, there's a dialogue with the different levels of the, the, the staff of saying mm-hmm. like, hey, how do we cut this off at the pass? How do mm-hmm. we get better at this so that we're putting our athletes in the best position to succeed? And that, that sort of leads me to the parents, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm thinking about things from my perspective, which when I'm engaged to help a young athlete, it's typically at the request of the parents. Parents come right. to me and say, hey, Johnny or Mary's having a problem would you, you know, how could you, how can you help? Right. Mm-hmm. So I guess what I was curious about is, is that are you getting inquiries from parents directly to say, Hey, I think there's something going on with my kid and I want you to talk to them. Or is that only internal in terms of like where that's coming from? Yeah. Um, you know, I can only think of one instance where a parent asked me to meet with a player um, yeah, just, just one that comes to mind. And, um, usually what kind of initiates me working with a player one-on-one is either, um, coach, essentially coach referring them and saying, Hey, Rachel, can okay. you meet with this player? Um, here's what I'm noticing, uh, athletic trainers, um, saying, yep. Hey, I'm working with a player. I've noticed X, Y, Z, um, or, hey, so-and-so has an injury, here's the prognosis and recovery timeline, and we're going to need some some support there. Um, or, uh, you know, the older guys who I've been working with for a while, they will self-initiate, right? So um, it's not like I'm meeting with every, all of them every week, all year long. We'll kind of it'll kind of ebb and flow, right? When they feel like they need a little extra support, they'll say, hey, Rach, you know, can we find a time? Mm -hmm. Um, So they'll self-initiate because they know I'm here, they're familiar with the resource, they know how things go, and there's the rapport is there, and they know Mm -hmm. I'm available. Um, But um, the only other thing that would kind of start me working with a player is the well-being assessments. Mm -hmm. Um, If a flag pops up on there, for example, where it says, Mm -hmm. you know, um, this player is at risk for X, Y, Z, or we see a really high occurrence of um, one of the things that we're measuring for on Mm -hmm. that. Um, And then I'll, and then I will initiate with a player. Uh, And similarly, I guess I'm curious, like if you're working, especially if you're going through one of those kind of cycles of meeting individually, right. And maybe Mm -hmm. it's in season, you're more active out of season, not as necessary. That's pretty common from what mm-hmm. I see. I'm working with more athletes in season because there's just a sense that there's more pressure and mm-hmm. you know there's the consequences are higher, whereas off season, maybe it's like, hey, I need to take a break from this. Mm-hmm. But how much do you find yourself, if at all, like following up with the athlete? Like I just think about my work. It's mm-hmm. a little little different, but like, you know, sending a text and saying, hey, just checking in. Yeah. How are you doing? Like, do you need anything from me or do you want to meet? Right. Like how much of that are you doing in terms of, you know, following up? Yeah. 
usually um, players that I've met with for, you know, a round of sessions, I'll check in with them on kind of like a monthly basis. Okay. How are things going? You know, anything new coming up? Um, but uh, it's pretty informal. I guess, especially the older ages, I see them around a lot more because mm-hmm. we're all here at the practice facility. Yeah. Um, and so you can just see guys in passing. Hey, how's things going? What else is nice about that is you can, even if I'm not, um, if I don't have a scheduled meeting with somebody for a follow-up, I can, I can see them right. and you can see if something's off. Yeah. Um, so, you know, okay, he, I need to go catch so-and-so today. Whereas if somebody else you've been working with, you can kind of tell just through observation, you know, like he looks like he's doing okay today. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a nice, um, dynamic that I get to take advantage of here is really just seeing them at training or passing through the hallway or at lunch and, um, getting to kind of gauge it that way. Yeah. And that's probably the hardest that's probably the hardest part of my practice is that, you know, when I was training, I was at a school and I was working with high school athletes and I was there every single day. Mm-hmm. And so there wasn't, what there wasn't this urgency to always be doing something, but you can always be watching them, right? See mm-hmm. the evolution or if something's up, you could go talk to them or you could see the expression on their face. Mm-hmm. Like that's a huge benefit in the work that and that we're doing is mm-hmm. the sense that like you're able to observe them from far without actually having to do anything right. where you're sort of collecting that data and saying like, Hey, something's off. And then if there's some sort of fulcrum, you're going to go in and say, Hey, what's going on? Can I mm-hmm. help it? You don't look yourself. Mm-hmm. Like that's a huge benefit that in-person observation, you know, especially on the field where they're, where they're applying their trade. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, I, I guess the other question I have is turnover, right? Like, as I think about it, right, someone comes into the system for the U14 mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm sure there are plenty of athletes who stay up until they reach the first club, right? Mm-hmm. But how much turnover is there from year to year in the system? Um, there's not a lot. I, I think um, a few years ago, we shifted our age groups and we got rid of our U19 team. So that mm-hmm. year we had a lot of drop off because we just didn't have a team to house that age group that was a mm-hmm. hard year um in terms of deselections um you know high numbers uh but generally year to year um when you come in at u13 um you you will not be deselected from the u13 so you always get u13 and u14 seasons kind of in your pocket when you come in because you know, it's such a huge adjustment so we never um plan to deselect anybody from the U13 after that season because mm-hmm. you need more time to really see uh, how the player is progressing. Um, and then beyond that, um, you know, you'll get a handful of guys each year um, from the U15, 17 age groups that are deselected um, based on performance and mm-hmm. Uh, again, that goes back to, you know, in the end, we are a, f- a football academy, right? Mm-hmm. So we can't, we can't keep everybody. Um, and that's not what we're here for. We're here if you, um, if you look like you can keep progressing towards being part of the first team um, and like pushing yourself and your teammates that direction, then that's, that's why you're here. Um, so, you know, usually with 
deselection in the past, um, both myself and Felix, my coworker, we will meet with players um, who are deselected and kind of as much as they're willing, we'll, we'll walk with them through that process um, because it's a huge transition. It's a big transition into the academy. It's an equally big transition out of the academy. So we try to support players on both sides of that. But in the end, all the work that I do is um, you can opt into it. You don't have to meet with me ever, right? Um, so right. a lot of times as we see players exiting the club, um, they'll meet with me like once and then they feel like, you know what, I'm not here anymore anyway, so I'm just going to go on my yeah. own. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, do you see, and this is more out of curiosity than any sort of relevance, how much do you see any sort of elective opt- opting out, whether a player says like, this isn't for yeah. me, I'm going to another club, right? Do you see that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've seen that before. I've had conversations with players over the year who are considering um, either leaving the academy because of um, it's not really what they want. They, it's not what they thought it would mm-hmm. be in terms of the sure. elite performance environment. It's more than they expected. They don't have the, um, you know, everything soccer all the time. And I think a lot of times mm-hmm. for the little guys coming into the academy, it's it's all um, kind of roses, right? When they, when they look at, oh, I'm going to be a pro soccer player and I'm going to sure. play for the academy and they don't realize that the difficulties that exist along that pathway. Um, and then I've had also conversations with players who they just kind of burn out and they say, you know what? It's not that it's not the Academy or the, the level. I just, I'm done with soccer. I'm just not interested anymore. And I want to do other things. And so I've had both of those conversations with players over the years. Well, well that really, that really resonates with me as someone who has two children in that age range that, mm-hmm. 13, 14, as I have a son who's 13 going on 14, a, a daughter who's 11 going on 12, mm-hmm. both soccer players, mm-hmm. both relatively skilled, talented, whatever. But I also know that they want to do other things, right? Mm-hmm. So there's no, we've never had been put in a converse position to have a conversation of like, hey, you're going to go play for Academy. Right. One, there's never been any interest, anyone, no one's ever approached us, but B, they all, they want to do different things, right? They want yeah. to have their friends. They want to play different sports, mm-hmm. right? They're not motivated to go and do one thing yeah. all the time. And so motivation is something that comes up. I could totally see there being a situation where somebody that age wouldn't have the motivation to continue through because mm-hmm. it's so consuming. So I guess the, uh, there's a bunch of questions I have actually, but like coming in like, do you feel like a lot of the the new the young kids who come in are they are they making that choice like to come in and say I really want to do this or do they, do you feel like they're put being put into that position because of their skill level even though maybe there's some reservation about like do I really want to do this Yeah um I would say we get both you know I can think of s- s- very specific individuals who have we've invited them to the academy and the player has said yes this is what I'm doing even when the parents had hesitation and they say oh really like you know here's all the things you need to consider and what about this and that and the player says no this is what I want I'm doing this even when they're 12 (laughs) so um so we've had players like that and then we've also had instances where it's really the parents saying, okay, this is, this is being offered to us and we're going to take it. And the player just says, okay, like, 
you know, mom and dad make those decisions and I like soccer. So this is what we're going to do. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and those are kind of like two ends of the spectrum and there's everything in between, but we try really hard, especially as they're entering the academy and then touching on it as they go along from year to year, making sure that they realize, um, the, you know, depth and breadth of sure. expectation and load and the sort of thing that, um, is involved in being in, in the academy. And um, we also try to temper that with our own scheduling, um, the programs that we run, making sure that, you know, if we can get the player home earlier, we are going to do that by all means necessary, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that they aren't, um, you know, staying up till wild hours, trying to get their homework done because they got home late from soccer, trying to get everybody back home with their families, like, as early as possible, as often as possible, because we know, you know, there's a physical load as you're progressing through um, your time here, but there's also the kind of the social um, Mm -hmm. and schedule load that we try to minimize as much as possible. Um, Realizing that that can really tire a player out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it just, I, the, the subject of motivation is sort of near and dear to my heart. And I, I think what I'm starting to realize now that I work more, you know, I'm working more and more with athletes in that age, young age group, you know, I think a lot of times it's, you know, do they really, do they really want to put in the work required to get to a certain level? Because mm-hmm. I think sometimes there's this belief a lot of times from the kid, like, oh, I'm going to go and do this. I'm going to go play division one sport mm-hmm. somewhere. Mm-hmm. And then you realize that there's a disconnect between the goal and what they're actually doing on a day-to-day basis yeah. to, to get there. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, some of them are, are sort of, I don't say diluted, but I think they don't really understand. Yeah. Just the same. There's some kids who go, you know what, like, I don't want this and it's okay because mm-hmm. I want to just be a normal kid and yeah. that's okay. Right. Yeah. But then you get the special kid. The special kid who says, like, I don't care. I'm going to do whatever it takes yep. and I'm going to go do that. And I feel like those are the ones that, you know, obviously you can't predict the future, but I would guess that the yeah. ones who come in and say, like, I want to do this I'm are the ones this. that are most likely to succeed mm-hmm. because Absolutely. they're making that choice and yeah. they're, 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 they feel autonomous in that. Yeah. And I can think of players that I've worked with over the last few years who, you know, our conversations have been, I'm going to get a contract with this club. That mm-hmm. is what I'm doing. And And even with that mindset and the readiness to do that, you still run into conversations about kind of the reality checking of, okay, that means you're going to have to give up this, or that means you're going to have to apply yourself to this more or develop this skill set or learn how to do X, Y, Z off the field. Right. Cause I, you know, the coaches are doing all the on-field development stuff and I'm working with the players who have that mindset of I'm going to go pro I'm here, I'm in it. This is what I want. And they enjoy doing that. Um, you still run into, okay, what is keeping you from achieving that right now? In mm-hmm. terms of your Absolutely. mindset or your time spend or this sort of thing. Um, and then, yeah, you know, sometimes I'll be in a conversation with a player and the results that we get to is, I don't want to go pro and, and <laughs> right. you know, and like what we're doing here is developing professional players and they realize actually that's not what I want. And so right. sometimes that that's to the degree of 
you know, that's not what I want and I need to go. And sometimes that's just, you know what, that's not what I want, but I have the skill level to be here and I want to play at the highest level that I can. So I'm going to stay here, but I know I'm going to go to college instead of trying to get a pro contract. Like I want to go to college. I don't really want to go pro. It doesn't look attractive to me. And now that I'm getting closer to that age. And so, you know, you get players who know they're not going that direction, but still have the level to be here. And we work with them on, okay, what, what doors does the, does football open up for you outside of being a professional player? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and so I, you know, to boil that down to a phrase, it's, you know, for me, it's decision-making, right? Understanding mm-hmm. that there are consequences to everything that you do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's no necessarily good or bad. It's doing what's best for you. And mm-hmm. if that means I'm not willing to give up another hour of my time to get better at this, that's okay. That's okay. But there's a consequence mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. it. Meaning like, if you don't do it, then the likelihood that you're going to get to where you want to go goes down yeah yeah and so so those conversations you know helping players realize that dynamic is a lot of i I feel like i spend a lot of time on that conversation me too because because these guys are young right and they don't have all of the um ability to kind of forecast all of the things attached to their decisions so and, and you know that like um the their brain is even still developing sure. in terms of decision-making, logical Absolutely. thinking, yeah, risk, totally. risk assessment, this sort of thing. And so helping them really process through that um, and and doing that in a way that's, you know, it's, it's safe and it's okay if you realize something that you think coach might not like or your parents might not expect of you or like, I'm here with you to help you figure out all of this. Um, and whatever decisions that the player comes to based off of that is that's, that's his decision, but at least now we've explored it and we know it's informed and well thought through and yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, it's, it's got me thinking, I have a couple of athletes that I work with that are in college, um, and to characterize the situation is I think the transition from high school to college was very challenging mm-hmm. because one from a performance perspective and at the high school level, highly successful, mm-hmm. go to college. Everybody is just as good, if not better. Right. Then there becomes the, you know, I'm not getting the time. I'm not getting the opportunity to, to compete because mm-hmm. there's other people better than me. And the question of why am I spending all this time doing this? Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not participating at the level I want to, and I'm not performing at the level I want to, like, why? Mm -hmm. Like, can you talk about some of those challenges you see as players are rising up through the ranks in terms of the increase in demands, perhaps maybe there's increases in travel expectations, Mm -hmm. but also, you know, like maybe they're not as competitive or not as good relative to the people around them. Like, how do they deal with that? Can you talk about seeing those transitions up through the system? Yeah, I think, um, The biggest jump, I guess, or or the first jump in levels of competition that we have is usually when you move from the U14 to the U15 group because you're just in a more competitive um, Mm -hmm. um, environment. You have different types of um, tournaments and games and and this sort of thing. So the level really raises when you go to U15, um, which is also 
kind of when a lot of the guys are starting to hit puberty and starting high school. And so it's like this amalgam of um, factors and they're, they, they kind of can get thrown by that sometimes. So we try to pay a lot of attention to that um, when they're hitting that age with the U15 group. Um, and then, you know, the, when you're talking about that transition from high school to college, it made me think of, you know, here, most of the guys go through the academy and they go to college on football scholarships, right? Um, so, but they continue their development at a college or a university. The guys who get contracts with the club, that's where I see kind of the equivalent of what you were describing of you were doing great. You were at the top, like height of performance. Um, and that's what got you the contract offer. And now you're with the first team and oh my goodness, it's totally different, right? Mm -hmm. So you are now not just with college kids. Now you are with adult grown professional footballers and in, on the field, in the locker room, on the bus, on the plane, like these, you're all of a sudden in a totally adult environment. Mm -hmm. And so helping players as much as possible understand that before they dive into it. Um, and so that they're at least not surprised when they start feeling like, oh, wait, like, I don't recognize this. This doesn't look or feel like it did last year when I was getting all the minutes I wanted. You know, I was performing how I wanted. Coach loved me, right? I was getting a lot of attention and now you're back at the bottom. You've got to earn your way up. Exactly. So that dynamic absolutely exists here. Um, and Again, some players, they they kind of like work through that um, in really healthy and helpful ways and other players really struggle with it. And a lot of it has to do with, you know, different personality dynamics and timing and all of these factors. But mm-hmm. um, those players that do transition from the academy to the first team – I've, I've worked with all of them while they've been in the academy, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I'll always offer to them, hey, this is a big transition. Here's what I usually see with guys as they make this transition, just so you know, right? Um, but I'm here if you want to process through anything, mm-hmm. if you just need to vent, if you're confused, if you're frustrated, if you need resources or we need to work on skill building, like all these things that we've been doing over these past years in the academy, we need to keep doing them because you're still developing. You're going to go in at the bottom and you need to develop to get on the field. Mm -hmm. So just framing that as they make that transition. And then again, some of them opt into it and we're working week in, week out on things and others say, you know what, I've got a contract and that's what I wanted. And, um, I'll see you around, (laughs) you know, and again, either one of those is fine. It's their own choice, how they want to handle it. Um, But I'm always here. Right. Um, And working with the guys who do want to keep, you know, putting in the time and the effort to, to develop themselves in that way. Right. And, and, and and as I've heard from colleagues in other sports that are in similar roles to yours is, you know, you're not going to get everybody to sign on to doing the work, right? Mm -hmm. There's, you know, 
a third of the, the guys or, or girls who are going to be like, I don't need this, mm-hmm. right? There are going to be a third who are like completely on board and be like, mm-hmm. hey, give me more. Like I want to learn and yeah. I need all the help I can get. And then there's going to be a third on the fence. And like, you know, as, pro- as professionals, I think, you know, you learn, I'm learning like, hey, everybody operates to the beat of their own dr- drummer. And, and mm-hmm. if they don't want to do it, that's okay. If mm-hmm. they change their mind, that's okay. Just mm-hmm. you're there for them and, yeah. and understanding that not everybody has an appetite for it or has a need for it. Right. right. Some athletes can deal with adversity and, you know, the challenges that come with it on their own and mm-hmm. manage it quite well. Mm-hmm. Some can't though. And, yeah. and having somebody to help them work through that is really important. Right. And some have great support systems, right? With their friends right. or at home or significant right. others. And then others definitely don't. And maybe yeah. not even, um, maybe might be um, not just a lack of a positive support system, but maybe even negative influences at home and maybe socially that they have to deal with. So also, you know, again, looking at it from a global perspective of, there's the player, but there's all of these different environmental pieces and social mm-hmm. pieces that impact the player. And um, the field is only really a small part of what each athlete is dealing with from day to day. And so if something's off um, in one of those off field dynamics or they need extra support there, then, yeah, like you said earlier, they need somewhere to come kind of like put the bags down before they step on the field so that they can perform. Right. That's a, that's a good metaphor. It's interesting because I think you and I would agree that what you just said was, you know, being on the field is such a small piece of the whole. Mm -hmm. But what I find with young athletes is, is that it's completely inverted. You know, the the vast majority of their identity is turned on, is, is based on what's going on on the field Mm -hmm. and all these other pieces of their identity, which are important and Mm -hmm. seemingly more important in some ways they don't perceive it that way. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm a son. I'm a father. I'm a student. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm a, a, a brother, a student. Mm-hmm. All those things are secondary right. to the athletic performance. And so that a lot of times is the real challenge is trying to get them to sort of reshift, shift their perspective on like, what does this all really mean? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, because if all those eggs are in one basket, mm-hmm. that creates a lot of times the negative. Vulnerable. Right. Yeah. The, the, the stress, the anxiety, mm-hmm. the depression, the the things that come with it, the sort of the emotional responses because of the importance of the sport. So right. I mean, is that is that typical or is that so common in your work in, in terms of what you see, especially at that level? Yeah, absolutely. Um <laughs> we so I can think of instances where I've I so we try and do a lot of identity mm-hmm. um development over the years with players in terms of um, helping them realize kind of the breadth of who they are, um, not just a footballer. Um, and, you know, but there's limits to that, right? We don't have all the time we would love to have to sure. do those exercises with players. So, um, you know, when when I'm working with individuals who are dealing with the identity piece of I'm an athlete, I'm a footballer. And then especially like, so what does it mean when it's not going well or when it's going away or when I'm injured and we're on pause or this sort of thing? Um, or what does it mean when I don't want football anymore? Right. right? When, when something shifts like that, it's um, because the identity is so wrapped up in it, it, it's a big deal. Um, sure. And so 
that I've found is really slow work um, to go through on an individual level. We, 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 it takes time to really talk through that and process it. And there's a few exercises that I kind of really lean on to help players frame um, who they are and what they want and this sort of thing um, that I found that work pretty well and consistently over the years. Um, But, um, you know, one of the other things that I find interesting is at least with the younger guys, um, how much of the parents' identity is also wrapped up in their son being part yeah, of the academy. Absolutely. absolutely. Um, it's really, and sometimes that can create a really unhealthy pressure on the player when they are dealing with something. And so that's, um, you know, uh, we, we try and work on that at the beginning of each year with the new guys dealing with the, the parents' identity piece of, mm-hmm. of, you know, I am the parent of an elite youth football player. Um, and how do parents help their son on their development pathway through the parent-son relationship um, in a way that is healthy and supportive and not detrimental? And we, we use a book that um, we've gone through with parents over the last few years here called On Frame, it's kind of a reflective set of exercises that were, was put together by um, Patrick Iani. He is a former pro footballer. He played for the club um, and he came up with this book um, to help parents uh, parent their kids well through the youth soccer environment. And parents every year love, love going through that. We have each U13 group of parents do that as a group workshop each year. Um, because that's such a crucial dynamic for the players in their development where, you know, the academy and the parents have to be on the same page in terms sure. of what is, what does their son need? So if the, if, if we're not together on that, it can be really confusing for the player. Yeah. I mean, I would imagine it's magnified at that level, but I have to say, you know, it's, it's universal. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, whether your kid plays in a development academy for a professional football club or whether they play on a travel team, you know, you know, and they're sort of at the high end of that spectrum in, in a given area. Right. Mm-hmm. Like parents sort of wear that identity and they have a really hard time separating themselves from the experience of the athlete. Mm-hmm. And those things, when they get when they get intertwined can get really messy. And I think it's something I see a lot of. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I I do think that there's a lot of room for education at the parent level about that Mm -hmm. so that we can build awareness, whether it's in the academy like yours or somewhere else to say, hey, their journey is their journey. You're supporting it, but you're not Mm-hmm. You know, you're not, you're not taking a starring role. Your you take, you're a support. Yeah. You're right. You're a supporting actor. You're yes. not a, you're not the lead. Yeah. And if you become the lead, it's going to be a real big problem. Mm-hmm. Maybe not today, but eventually because, you know, you're mm-hmm. taking away from their experience. Yeah. Um, so it's great that you're doing that. And I know you mentioned the book when we met and I just, um, you know, I, I, I think that's something that every parent should sort of be aware of and, and yeah. learn from and something yeah. to think about. So yeah, if you're the parent of an elite athlete and you're listening to this pick up on frame even if it's not <laughs> and, and go through it it's so helpful um and um i think the the players also like it i've gotten feedback from the players because there's a few exercises in there where parents are prompted to engage with their sons or daughters 
um, around certain questions and, mm-hmm. and having the parent practice active listening um, and open-ended questions mm-hmm. and this sort of thing that, you know, you and I have learned from yep. our backgrounds as mental health practitioners, but um, the, the parents find that challenging and the, the players love it because usually they don't have parents coming in just asking them for their opinion with nothing behind it. Um, so uh, we, we've really kind of, I think, made steps forward in viewing the parent as a potential um, support for players. Um, whereas I think a lot of times I hear not here at the academy, but um, in other soccer circles, you know, parents um, being framed as like a difficulty <laughs> in the player development pathway. And we like to try and view parents as a resource and really partner with them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You just, you, you just said something that sort of really resonated with me and it kind of skipping my mind there, but um yeah, it, it, it happens all the time in, in my work. And, you know, I think that anything we could do to sort of facilitate the development of the athletes. Oh, the, here it is. This is what I forgot. So I've had a lot of parents come to me that I, parents of kids that I work with and they say like, what can I do differently? Mm-hmm. And that's exactly the answer I'll give them. I won't even say ask open-ended questions, although that would be ideal. I would just say ask more questions, mm-hmm. right? Rather than going and telling them like what you think or giving Mm -hmm. them advice about something that they know more about than you. Yeah. Like ask them like what's going on. Like, and not guided or weighted questions of don't you think, or wouldn't it be better? No. Right. Right. Just, just straight questions with nothing behind it. Having some level of curiosity, which Mm -hmm. lets the athlete believe that you really genuinely care about what they're thinking and feeling Mm -hmm. and what their opinion is and what they're going through versus like, Hey, this is about me. Right. When you ask a conditional question, it's Mm -hmm. like, well, I'm worried about how you're going to answer because it it, it affects me. Mm -hmm. And a lot of parents, they, they, they do, they get over invested in the athlete's performance and Mm -hmm. they want a certain answer back. And listen, we were all most of us were coached and parented that way of mm-hmm. command and control, right? Mm-hmm. This, I'm the parent. I tell you what to do. You go do it. If you don't do it, there's something wrong and you mm-hmm. need to fix it. Mm-hmm. And that's something that gets passed on generationally. And it's really hard, I think, for a lot of kids, especially, you know, like even like I start to work with athletes and I start to ask a lot of questions. They get confused sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> They get confused. Like, I like, I know it's, it's like weird that adults like asking them what they think, you know, what do you feel? Like, what do you think Mm -hmm. you need to do to get better? I don't know. Like, I'm, you know, I don't know. No one's ever asked me that before. Yeah. Right. No one's ever asked me that Mm -hmm. before. And they like really like they're back on their heels because it doesn't Mm -hmm. make sense. They're so used to people telling them this Mm -hmm. is what you need to do. Mm -hmm. And they just go do it, which is fine to a point, but then you can't think on your own and they don't know how to think on their own. So it's just, it's a fascinating world. I mean, and it's really encouraging to know that, you know, at that level where you're at, like it could very easily be very, very demanding. And I mean, I'm sure it is, but I mean by that is, is like, it's very holistic. It's very open-minded developmentally. You're sort of thinking about the player first. How do we all work together in service of the player Mm -hmm. versus like, this is a business, like you either need to figure it out or you don't. Right. And if you don't, you're out, right? Which is typically what we think about when we think about professional sports. Mm-hmm. 
So I, I guess as we wrap up, the, the last question I'll ask you is, and, and I'll sort of frame it as from the perspective of a young athlete, right? So if someone said to you, a young athlete said, hey, I was interested in coming in and playing for a developmental, for an academy like mm-hmm. Chicago Fire have, like what advice, what, what's the one piece of advice you'd give that athlete in terms of preparing for that? Uh, I would say that they, I would encourage them to own their own development. That's something that we talk a lot about here and it's hard for kids to do it. But, um, Mm -hmm. once they get the hang of it, we see, you know, leaps and bounds of progression. And by that, I mean, um, if you are not sure what you're supposed to be doing to take the next step, go ask coach, right? If you want to get faster, go tell your coach or if you have a strength and conditioning coach or a trainer or something, say, I want to get faster. What do I do? Right. You've got resources around you who um, can help you move forward. But usually they're working with a lot of individuals. Right. You're not the only kid on the team. So if you know you want more, go ask for it. Advocate for yourself. um, And one, you'll get more to work on to get to the next level. And two, you'll get the attention of, of your coaches noticing, Hey, this kid wants more. They have the drive, you know, they, and, and that goes a long way as well in terms of showing attitude and perspective and, and, and kind of the grit to move forward. Um, so yeah, I'd say own it and, and get what you want from the resources that are around you. I think that's a perfect, perfect note to end on. Uh, I couldn't agree with that more. So with that, Rachel, I want to thank you for giving the time to come on and have a conversation with me. It's really enjoyable and interesting, and I'm looking forward to putting it out there for others to listen to. So thank you again. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. So what was your biggest takeaway from my conversation with Rachel Jankowski-French? For me, it's that sports clubs are becoming more mindful of developing the whole athlete rather than just the on-field performer. Integrating mental and life skills training into player development will become more common as the results become more apparent over time. My suggestion to young athletes and their families is to seek out clubs that value the mental, emotional, and social elements of player development as much as the technical, tactical, and physical. Young athletes will have the greatest chance to optimize their potential if they're the best version of themselves as human beings. I want to thank Rachel for her kind generosity and the wisdom she shared with the Freshman Foundation community. You can connect with Rachel on LinkedIn, and you can follow Chicago Fire FC and its Player Development Academy on Instagram at Chicago Fire and Chicago Fire Next. To learn more about how mental performance coaching can help your mind work for you rather than against you, visit michaelvhuber.com. Thank you for listening. We'll see you back in two weeks, ready to get better. Mike Huber is the founder and owner of Follow the Ball Coaching, located in Fairhaven, New Jersey. He is a mental performance coach and business advisor dedicated to serving athletes just like you reach their full potential on and off the court. 
The Freshman Foundation is all about helping you get to the next level. For more information, follow along on Instagram at The Freshman Foundation. Please subscribe. Give us a like on iTunes, Spotify. Leave a review. Tell a friend. Most importantly, come back in two weeks. Ready to get better.